Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Thanks for joining me today on the Arate Podcast. My guest today is Mark Townend, who is the CEO of RSPCA Queensland. And it's an amazing conversation. He's had such an interesting and varied career. And he's done so many amazing innovations in the way that RSPCA operates and funds itself um, that I was absolutely fascinated by uh, and completely unexpected to me uh, when I think of what RSPCA is and when you actually get to look you know, behind the veil and uh, understand the true business, um, uh, it's a, an incredible success story. Uh, before I talk a little bit more about Mark, for those people who are new to the Aratate podcast, my name is Richard Triggs and I'm the Managing Director of Aratate Executive. And we are an executive search firm based in Brisbane but working for clients throughout Australia. Uh, and we provide uh, headhunting solutions for senior leadership vacancies. So if you um, have any requirements in that area, I'd really welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about how we may be able to assist you in attracting top talent into your business. Anyway, um, Mark, as you'll get to know, uh, had a career where essentially he's worked in uh, small business as uh, uh, an owner of uh, a very successful small business. Um, He's worked in politics. Uh, and he's been now the CEO of RSPCA Queensland for um, 19 years, believe it or not. Uh, and you think, well, 19 years in a role, you know, potentially that CEO is getting a bit stale. But uh, when Mark talks about all of the technology and the innovation and the development of um, technologies that are now being used uh, throughout the world in other types of organisations, RSPCA is doing some incredible things in the way that they are now using technology for fundraising. I think uh, he talks a little bit about the fact that they're actually launching a beer. Uh, So yeah, um, uh, great chat and really interesting guy that uh, I'm sure you will be able to get some takeaways for uh, in terms of potentially looking at your own businesses through a new lens and looking for opportunities to develop a products or services that are traditionally outside of what you would normally do um, because uh, Mark has done that so effectively. Anyway, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Mark Townend. Hi Mark, welcome to the RTA podcast. Thanks Richard, glad to be here. Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, sunny day, not long before Christmas. Uh, Have you got any exciting Christmas plans? No, actually, a lot of my staff have Christmas off, um, my senior leadership team, so okay. I try to fill the gap there, right. and their operational people are very busy. Uh-huh, and so you take your break at a different time of the year? Yep, and I've got young kids, so I can sort of go out of school hours and that, so it's easy. Oh, good on you. I've got young kids too, and uh, they're very excited about Santa. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, we all are. We all are. I am too. Oh, good. Well, look, Mark, um, maybe just to begin with, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your current professional responsibilities? I'm currently the CEO of RSPCA here in Queensland, um, so you'll give a picture about RSPCA. That'd be great. We um, deal with 56,000 animals a year, more than anyone else in the Southern Hemisphere. Right. We save more lives and have an 88% save rate. We have a $51 million budget, 340 staff, 5,300 volunteers who mm-hmm. put in 40,000 hours a month. Wow. We have 24 inspectors and do about 18,000 cruelty complaints. Mm-hmm. Have a call centre that takes 335,000 incoming calls. And um, we have also wildlife, which people don't understand. We actually do with more wildlife than anyone else in the Southern Hemisphere, right. 24,000 of them a year. Yeah, I was, uh, I was just mentioning prior, my dogs uh, ran away from my home and when I went to pick them up from the RSPCA, somebody had brought in a, a crow, I think, that they'd found under their car and uh, it was treated majestically. Right, great. <laughs> I'm glad you had good customer service. That's the main thing. And so... Um, you mentioned uh, you know the highest rates in the southern hemisphere. 
Um, I mean, is that because there's just a larger volume or are there particular initiatives that you're doing here which have enabled you to achieve that? How, how do you do that? I think it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. I'd love to have no, I'd like to be redundant with no animals. That would be right. the ideal world. But I think our brand is very well respected in Queensland. We've consolidated the business so people ring one number mm-hmm. and they can get to us easy and hopefully we provide good customer service when they come and they come back if they have other animal needs. Mm-hmm. So I think our organisation is known for all animals, all creatures, great and small, domestic, livestock and wildlife, and uh, hopefully we give good service and can provide adoptions, care, foster care mm-hmm. and a retail environment as well. Mm. And you've been in that role for 18 years. Yes, I, like I say, I actually had black hair and I was skinny when I started. <laughs> I had hair and I was skinny. Now I don't have hair yeah. except on my chin and I'm definitely not skinny. But uh, mm. it happens to the best of us, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, and it's one of the terrible things about getting a bit older. Well, when I joined, I thought, oh, well, I, they rang their bit of trouble, the RSPCA, and I'd actually sold my company and I thought, yeah, I can do that. It's, so just a dog pound. Right. That sorted in six months. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, let's talk um, uh, a lot more about that a bit later mm. because uh, I know that you've done some really amazing innovations here across a whole, you know, uh, range of uh, things that people wouldn't perhaps know RSPCA for. But you know, the software you were talking about and things like that. But um, let's uh, let's start by going back to you know your early life. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and where you grew up. Mum, dad, brothers and sisters, and so well. Born and bred in Sydney originally, okay. lives at Northbridge in Sydney. I've just had my 40-year school reunion. Oh, really? And um, at North Sydney Boys High, I went to, and um, to really put an age on that, um, our school dance band was ACDC, oh, so really? that, that'll really put it back there. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now I've aged myself. Was Bon Scott the singer? Yeah, I think so, and wow. then I think he might have had the North Sydney Boys cap on there. I think that that would have so, gone over uh, very yeah. interestingly. <laughs> so then I did an apprenticeship, actually, right. when I left school. was in the automotive business, yeah. specialised in European cars and okay. Fiat's, Renaults, Ferraris. Were, were your yeah. family from that business? Uh, no, no, family was uh, into uh, distribution, actually, and warehouse okay. distribution, but... Okay. Um, yeah, I um, just did that as a trade, mm-hmm. and very popular in the 70s, early 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, did that, and then I moved to Queensland. I right. worked for a, com- a Lafusia, which was a company who owned entertainment and um, uh, gyms and entertainment centres up here. So how did automotive go into that then? Um, I used to work part-time in that industry down as a second job in Sydney. Okay, and then what I, sort of stuff? Yeah, and I was offered to come up here... And if those of people in um, Queensland would know Skateway as a brand, oh yeah, yeah, yep. worked for Con Gautos and um, right. worked for him and his son for a couple of years or eighteen months. And what were you doing there? I'm um, just running running Skateway Macrobat actually. Okay, oh yeah. So it was very varied. Right. And then I um, worked in a small spare parts business, mm-hmm. and I lived at Logan Home in mm-hmm. Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Just got married. Right. And then um, a couple of years before I had a, my first daughter, and then. Um, then I saw an opportunity to open a spare parts business, mm-hmm. which I did. In the end, we operated, a, if you basically bought off, if you're in the southeast corner, you'd buy off either Repco or Servo Supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, sold out to half to an American, very wealthy American, and then they um, sold out completely to private equity in 99. Okay, okay. So, and, and I still had black hair. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, quite a significant change in career, coupled with... Uh, some local government involvement. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought there was a lot of lawyers, a lot of school teachers. I hope there's not too many listening, but I thought we needed a bit of a different ter- type of demographic and personality representing the relative, the uh, people of Logan. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, pretty well of a dare actually, like most things in life. And I had a run at the local government elections and got in. Right. And I was an independent. Okay. And I was there for eight years. And what was your platform? Um, it was actually customer service. It was okay. just about making sure the government was relative. Right. It wasn't just a, a uh, high tower, ivory tower there in the mm. middle of Logan. Actually, it was very relative and gave good service to the residents. Mm-hmm. And where I was, it was the fastest growing area mm-hmm. in um, southeast Queensland and one of the fastest um, local authorities in, in the top five in um, Australia at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always um, interested about people's motivation because you don't go into local government for the money. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, some people may, but uh, you know, for a business person. Uh, so, did, were you looking at what was happening and and feeling that there were things that you could do a lot better, or or what? I think I was like most Aussies these days, thinking, why they make that silly decision? Right. Why didn't they make a sensible decision that mm. we can understand? Mm. And I saw that in Logan. There's a lot of infighting, and and I just went in there to offer a normal resident's point of view with some mm. business skills 
and um, it worked well. And I used to get, and I suppose I don't want to brag, but used to get well above 70% of the vote. Okay. Um, and I suppose I was there while I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed the job. Mm-hmm. Sure, there was a few times when residents expected more mm-hmm. than what they really should have. There was, um, I found that I had 5% of the contact with the re- re- with residents. A lot of people had problems but would never contact you. Mm-hmm. The five were always the same 5%. Right. But I enjoyed the job. It was growing. We had a chance to build the city, make mm-hmm. the city what it is today. Mm-hmm. And Logan cops a bit of flack, you know, of image sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's really a good city. It's a I young. Live, I live there. Oh, yeah. there you go. It's yeah. a young city. Yeah. Um, it's got a huge amount of offering to it, mm. and it does really well considering it's got the most mixed multicultural population mm-hmm. in Australia. Yeah. Yes, uh, I actually uh, did a uh, particular recruitment assignment for Logan City Council in the uh, development area. And while I was there, I went next. It's, the RSPCOs are pretty close, isn't it? It's like uh, next door or just down the road or... Oh, yeah. Well, there's, down at Queen Street, the, the Queens Road, there's a, right. there's a place there. Yeah. And I rescued a cat. Oh, there so. you go. <laughs> Good to see I'm talking to an animal lover. <laughs> Absolutely. A cat and two dogs and uh, a whole menagerie that drive me yeah. crazy. And I always look at local government and I think if it were, um, you, you would be there and somebody would come and make a case for something you'd say, oh, that's a great idea, and then the person on the absolute opposite side would come and make their case. And trying to balance, you know, so many stakeholders with very uh, conflicting um, needs, um, particularly if both kind of make sense, that must be really hard. It is difficult, but I think, it, like everything, whenever you go into a conversation, you always got to think what the other person's thinking about mm-hmm. and how what they s- is fair. And, like... I was chairman of finance and policy, so when it was rates time, mm-hmm. it's my decision to put basically out to front the media or the public about why the rates go up. Mm-hmm. But then when I um, said to people it was a reasonable rate rise, we're providing good services. Mm-hmm. You know, you, for an extra dollar a week, they're going to get their garbage taken away, they get their sewage looked after, the water looked after. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty good service. New roads, new footpaths out the front. Mm-hmm. If you give value, it's like anything. If you go to a mm-hmm. shop, you pay a bit more for something, but you get value, you're happy. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I tried to do as I when I was representing people in Logan mm-hmm. and the staff at Logan and I shouldn't I suppose I'm promoting Logan but it's like many local governments they love their job mm. they don't like being bereaved by the public because their rates went lower they actually love their job and think they're doing a good job and they try very hard to please the residents and mm-hmm. I saw that in Logan and that's why people in local government stay there a long time mm. um, what did you see I mean people seem to hold a view that the culture within local government is very different to being in a commercial enterprise. Um, did, did you see that and what were some of the big differences and what are perhaps some of the similarities that people you know, may not be aware of? Oh, I think, well, these days local governments actually run a lot of enterprises themselves mm-hmm. because competition policy, that's what's happened. It's mm-hmm. changed a little bit. Um, everyone's risk-averse in any level of government because you can be attacked from the outside for all different political reasons. They'll find a little hole in your armour and they'll try and attack you. So you are risk-averse because if things... In the commercial world, if things don't go quite right, you've got to... If you're an owner, you actually have to deal with it yourself. You've lost mm-hmm. some money or you have to deal with your other... with the owner of the company or the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes things don't go right. But when it comes to local governments and other levels of government, um, it's, people don't give you that opportunity to make a mistake. So mm-hmm. I think that's why they're a bit more risk-averse. Mm-hmm. But again, we had a great CEO at the time, or Town Clerk, they were called, and they, they, he was prepared to take a bit of risk mm-hmm. because we were growing, we needed to, had a good lot of councillors and a good lot of senior executives who let us have that little risk and do things differently. And that's exactly what we did, and it did progress. Mm-hmm. And so you hung in there for 12 years? Eight years. Eight, eight years. years. Eight years. And yeah. so um, at the end of that... Did you leave to take on the RSPCA role, or did that no. happen after the? No, fight? no, no. So I, um, while I was there, I had an offer to buy half my company, okay. and I couldn't do family, local government, and my company. Right. So I decided to leave and do commercial work and uh-huh. build my company with the new US partner. Right. We did that, um, and it was quite a shock. I think people expected me to continue on in a local government career. Right. But I wasn't a career politician. Okay. Um, I went there to help. Bring some balance to the council, mm-hmm. some um, some new ideas. I think I did that in eight years. Mm-hmm. I think I did it respectfully, and then I had an opportunity to do something more commercial, and that's mm-hmm. what I did. Mm-hmm. And at its largest, how big was your own business? Um, Ten million dollars. Okay. So in the nineties, that was that was a decent size. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so um, the decision to uh, exit that 
you, you, it was just time, you'd had enough, or new challenges? What was your Well, motivation? it's like every other industry in Australia. I don't believe federal governments like small or medium business. I think they like big, big business they can control, mm-hmm. and it was getting harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was offers on the table to go to a larger mm-hmm. private equity group, and mm-hmm. that's exactly the opportunity I took. Mm-hmm. I've, I've not heard that before. I'm interested. You know, why do you think government prefers larger business from a control point of view, what do you mean by that? Oh, I think it's very hard to control small business and medium business and keep them and have policies that suit those individual businesses. Uh-huh. I think when it comes to West Farmers and Myers and all all those larger companies, Woolworths, that um, governments can have policies mm-hmm. and they can have things that slowly change mm-hmm. and those big companies can deal with it. Right. Small businesses have to be more agile yep. and the government of Australia these days will, at state and federal will never be agile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you think that means for Australia as an economy and as a business community in the future? Well, coming from regional small business, having lots of friends who've had their house at risk over the years, um, I think it's a problem mm-hmm. and we you need to cope with it. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as risk goes, um, as I say, federal and state governments, as much as they have uh, all these policies that pretend to help small business, mm-hmm. they really aren't always that relevant to small mm-hmm. business for you or me who've got the house at risk. Mm-hmm. So do you think uh, you'll reignite your political aspirations at any time or is that all well and truly behind you? No, I think it's well and truly behind me. I suppose you never say never, sure. but um, at this point in time, I can actually throw a little hang raids from the side occasionally um, and, and make people think a little bit. Yeah. Um, as I say, I'm very passionate about small business because mm-hmm. I do see that people have their house at risk and people have to understand between HR law, you know, um, uh, Work, workplace laws, mm-hmm. between uh, IR laws, between taxation, mm-hmm. cash flow, all those things have to be better handled by government. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe a lot of the representatives of government have had experience that they have actually can bring to the floor of parliament. Mm-hmm. And do you think there are other countries in the world that are doing it far more intelligently than Australia? No, I think Australia's mostly doing better than most, but okay. still, I think we've gone back a long way, right. and we're so risk-averse again. We're right. not so, and people are so insulated. We're mm-hmm. in Canberra. Mm-hmm. They're nice people. They're doing their good job for them for the government as a whole, but I think they're not so relevant mm-hmm. to the small businesses which many of Australian cities are built on. Mm-hmm. Well, as a small business owner myself, uh, I certainly uh, can agree with a lot of what you've just said. And so, how did um, the RSPCA opportunity come to your attention? Well, that was strange. I never thought I'd be looking after the RSPCA. So I basically, I was divulged my age, I was 40, right. and I thought I'd better go and get an MBA or something. That seemed the flavour of the month in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, but the RSPCA, if those local Queenslanders would know, was in a bit of trouble. In what respect? Um, uh, well, when I arrived there, I, can, uh, I didn't know this before, but there was no budgets, no systems. Everyone loved animals, mm-hmm. but there was, the outcomes weren't as good as they should be. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a sustainable business. Um, there was every every corner you turned around, there was something wrong, and they'd lost their CEO, mm-hmm. and the board was looking for someone just to help out for a bit. Mm-hmm. Someone knew me and said, "Well, Mark, you've had local government, you've had commercial, you know a bit about charities having to work with them, yeah. but I didn't know much at all. I didn't know, even know what the word bequest was at that right. time, and that's now twenty percent of our funding. Sure. In those days, it was fifty percent, more than fifty percent. Right. Um, I said, "Yeah, dog pound can't be that hard. <laughs> I had a go." 18 right. years later, I'm still there. Right. And so how does it work? you a CEO for Queensland. So how yes. do you integrate with the other states? Um, stressfully sometimes. Right. <laughs> it's a federated organisation. Yeah. And we like... Um, it was no good doing things the same. Mm-hmm. The, the place was not going to continue to save more lives or be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So my aim was to use business principles... I don't want to be economic rationalist, but I want to make sure we had business principles in place mm-hmm. because it's just a business, and then we'd have better outcomes for the animals. Mm-hmm. So in the end, um, we can mostly talk about the detail in between, but we've gone from a $5 million turnover to $51 million, mm-hmm. right? We've gone from dealing with about 18,000 animals to 56,000 animals, and we save 88% of the lives rather than 50%. Mm-hmm. And those small percentages that don't survive the system, they're either dangerous to other animals or dangerous to people, or it's inhumane to keep them alive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 18 years, there must have been quite a number of key milestones. You, you walked in, you inherited a business that, as you said, was uh, uh, in disarray. What was the original mandate that you were given for the role? Well, I think the board, because they had a period with no CEO, the board were most probably having to spend a lot of time day-to-day in their full-time jobs helping run the RSPCA. Right. So once I came on board, within a few days, 
I didn't see them for a while, okay. <laughs> except for Bobby. They were glad to leave me with it. Yeah. Now, I didn't take advantage of that because it's important mm. that you keep the board up to date. Mm-hmm. And I, but I did certainly be able to, I was able to get on with things. Mm-hmm. I was able to make decisions for the business and then report to them after the fact at the next board meeting because mm-hmm. we, we were trying to move quickly to start from the ground up. Mm-hmm. I ignored everything, thinking, well, it's been here 90 years, can't be any worse, yeah. and just ignored everything and started off getting clarity in place first, mm-hmm. making sure everyone knew their job, had a job description, and how they fitted into the whole organisation. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of the early uh, initiatives that you took to um, set it on this new trajectory? Well, I didn't know anything about shelters. I didn't know about animals, really. I had, right. a, dog, I had a dog and a cat myself over the years. That was about it. And um, I saw wildlife was a major issue in Queensland. Nothing was coordinated. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be all creatures great and small, yet we had a cupboard that we used to keep the wildlife in, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the euthanasia rate was very high mm-hmm. because we had no room in the pens. Mm-hmm. So we had no... We had people who didn't like people serving at the front counter. Mm. So animal people who loved animals, but they're dealing with Richard at the front counter right. who might have needed some help and they weren't into looking after people. Yeah. So I had to move those people either on or into the back part, black blocks right. yeah. where the animals were and have customer service people. Mm-hmm. I could then, if Richard was... Uh, I took you to Beanley Court and prosecuted, unless I recognised you, I could uh, adopt another animal to you. Right. So I thought I'd just buy some software from overseas. Mm-hmm. nothing here. There was not an internet-based system. In fact, the owner of the, the software overseas, I said to him in America, would you, um, when you're building an internet version, this is 2001, mm-hmm. he said, oh, that internet won't be around long. Right. So I figured well, I'm on the wrong track here. <laughs> so we started building our own. So that was a big of a milestone. So what kind of software was that? So we built our own software called Shelter Mate at those days. It's mm-hmm. called Shelter Buddy now because our biggest market's America. So right. we've actually called it Shelter Buddy rather yeah. than Shelter Mate. Um, so in other words, if you lose your dog, like I said when we were just chatting before, if you lose it in New York or San Diego or Portland or Houston, it's on our system. Mm-hmm. So we've got the number one uh, enterprise system across the US, Canada, New Zealand and Australia. So this is some microchipping? No, no, no. It's, a, it's an enterprise system that right. actually looks after from the, from the first contact we have you at the counter okay. to the, the, and track you, you and your animal through every process of the RSPCA. Right. Um, microchip information does go in there, mm-hmm. but it, it does more than that. So if you're a donor, if you're a, if you're a volunteer, if you're a, a doctor or a foster carer, it keeps a record. We build a profile on you. Mm-hmm. It's the first system in the industry that was based on people mm-hmm. rather than animals. And, and that was your initiative? Yes. And so what um, inspired you initially to, because that's obviously a radical departure from your day job, you know, um, what, what gave you the impetus to want to do that? Well, I had done money. Right. I, could, I didn't want to put on more people at the time. Mm. Um, computers are very good at doing regular work. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let's make this happen. There's nothing else in the world. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to build it ourselves. But we can get rid of all those Excel spreadsheets, mm-hmm. all those folders lying around the place and bits of paper, put in one electronic filing cabinet. That was mm-hmm. really what was behind it. Okay. And everything can be coordinated. So we can look at one animal record in the vet surgery, in, in the front counter, in the cruelty case. It shares it rather than have all this paper. Mm-hmm. And we developed that. And then what happened in 2004, the dollar was only 53 cents in the dollar. Mm-hmm. Now, um, these days when it goes away, they want the high dollar, but it suited me fine. So I sold it to a couple of, we sold to Oregon Humane, Marin County in San Francisco, um, Monterey County in, in, um, in California as well, and then San Diego. And those mm-hmm. customers are all customers today. Okay. And uh, we got double our money, right. which gave us more money to build it better for ourselves back at home, mm-hmm. to give more features. Mm-hmm. Then we just leapfrogged and organically grew. And even the Humane Society of Silicon Valley has used our system since 2006. Wow. So we developed in a little old shelter at Fairfield, if you know how bad that was, yes. in the back room there. Right. And the Humane Society of Silicon Valley, in those multi-billion dollar businesses all around, mm-hmm. use our system. And so uh, I imagine that that must uh, have been something that your counterparts across Australia would have left all over as well, huh? Well, not necessarily. They, they wanted it, but they didn't want to pay for it. They right. thought we developed it. And I said, well, we've got a business to run. Yeah. And um, some of those people mostly didn't have that attitude in, in okay. their business. But, uh, yeah, we charged them. Mm-hmm. Gave them a discount, obviously, because oh, they're yeah. part of the family. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, and now everyone uses it. Yes, okay. You're right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, what are some of the other sort of key milestones you remember over this period? Um, I th- well, and again, we developed the first site to have animals on the net. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone assumes that that's the way you do business now, but that's mm-hmm. what we didn't. We most probably were the first to introduce animals into pet shops. Mm-hmm. Now, you think RSPCA used to war with pet shops, mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with a good pet shop 
in a location where you can distribute animals, you might mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. So we got rid of the puppy farm type animals and mm-hmm. people, kittens that were bred in the backyards and put our animals into those places, all de-sexed, mm-hmm. so they weren't creating the problem in the future. Mm-hmm. And then the people's face. So people, if they walk past the pet shop in one of the Westfields, mm-hmm. they, we know they're being looked after because otherwise I get reports of the cruelty cases. Right. So and rather than the back blocks of a building sold on Gumtree. Yep, yep. My other cat, my previous cat came from a pet shop uh, RSPCA window and uh, yep. my kids, every time we go to the pet shop, they uh, love to, to look in there and see what's going on. Yes. Um, uh, at some point, there was also this uh, uh, initiative where you could take a pet home from the, for the weekend. Was that something that you did? Or? Yeah, we have trial adoptions. Right. We have trial adoptions. We've tried everything. You see, um, I suppose the animal people don't like animals talked about as far as products or inventory. Right. But really, um, they are, mm. and people want good value. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure they're suitable for their lifestyle, mm-hmm. and they'll be long-living homes then. So mm. I'll do anything to actually place an animal in a good home that's going to be the forever home. Mm-hmm. And that might be a trial to make sure. It might, they might hand it back and say, look, it didn't work with us. And rather than be bonded totally after six months and hand it back and dump it somewhere mm. at, at, a, at a pound... I'd rather work with them over a couple of weeks and then say, you know what, maybe you should take a goldfish. Right. <laughs> or a pot plant. Or a pot plant, that's right. <laughs> and so all of these creative um, ideas around innovation and, and business practice and so on, was that a situation where you're looking out at the world at different industries and picking up ideas that you can bring across? Or, you know, how, how, how do you um, get that kind of uh, imagination? Um I think I had to raise money because we get so we get less than three percent from the government, mm-hmm. right? And I've got continual expenses with those volume of animals. Mm-hmm. I had to find more money, mm-hmm. so I had to do things easier, quicker, efficiently, and use innovative techniques. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of forced me into the thinking power mm-hmm. to actually how am I going to do this better? Mm-hmm. So our software is a key component because everything we do in there is trying to make our job more automatic and mm-hmm. easier mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to opportunities to raise revenue so we had some of the first big box pet shops Mm -hmm. so at Springwood we opened our first big box pet shop pet shop in 2005 Mm -hmm. long before pet barns Mm -hmm. and those organizations Mm. Um, so again it was to create a positive presence for RSPCA good customer service and make a few bucks along the way Mm -hmm. I suppose my question is um, okay you've, you've got a need to make money but there's all different ways that you could have done that how do you I mean how do you pick an idea like, oh, we're going to have a big box pet store at Springwood? Um, where does that come from? I think it's really important that if you especially work for a... I hate the word not-for-profit, by the way. It should be profit for purpose. Yeah. Because if I got out of bed and not make profit every day, we wouldn't be in business. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very big on that. But um, I think it's important if you're going to diversify from your abs- absolute core, like ours is adoption and saving lives, mm-hmm. it should be have a, 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 a link to your mission. Mm-hmm. So everything we do, the pet shop we sell all the products that are good for your animals. Mm-hmm. The software helps save lives because it helps promote them and control them. Mm-hmm. Our Pets at Rest, again, is a cremation business, but it helps fulfil that cycle from life to death for animals. Mm-hmm. Um, our microchip business is help identify animals. We're a shareholder in Pet Cloud, which is like the Airbnb of animals. Oh, I right? heard yes. Yeah, so... Um, <coughs> Uh, we were developing a product, someone else was developing a product in Brisbane, we joined forces. Right. So again, rather than people come to our counter and look for, they forgot to board their animal, they decided to, we've got a, a tool, a web tool that will help find them somewhere. Pet so, Cloud. Pet Cloud. Right. PetCloud.com, look on the .com.au. <laughs> I'm going to check that out for, yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so everything we've done, we've diversified, but always diversified with a link to our mission. That's, right. That's, that's important. And I think if you're in a charity, a not-for-profit business, mm-hmm. you should do that rather than have diverse um, investments mm-hmm. that don't actually help your mission at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you were you know, saying... Five million to fifty-one million dollars yep. um, uh, increase in revenue, and uh, knowing the not-for-profit or not for a, or profit for purpose sector, no. uh, as I do, I mean competing for um, bequests or philanthropy, you know, is very challenging. It's a very uh, saturated market where every time I walk down the street, on every corner, there's somebody wanting to grab me and ask me questions in order to get me to support a particular cause. Um, you know, what are some of the innovative ways that you've looked at um, uh, that side of fundraising for your business? 
I'll talk about innovation and <coughs> fundraising in a second. I'll go back to basics. So I've been in the spare parts business. I sold spark plugs, mm-hmm. million, million a year of them, of, NG, of spark plugs. Yeah. I've been in the political business. I had to get votes. Right. I've been into the animal business. Mm-hmm. I've got to get dollars there. It's all customer service. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. You give good, efficient value for money to people, and they'll look at supporting you, mm-hmm. selling number one spark plug distributor in Queensland, if I want to get a good number of votes at the local government elections, if I actually want to increase my bequests, I give good value and I do what I say and provide trust to those people. Mm-hmm. It's the same in any business. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to make sure that if RSPCA says something from one of my staff or representatives, we commit to it and we do it, and our mission is to save lives and we're saving more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And... Um uh, how do you ensure that that culture is instilled through the business? So, you know, you're very passionate about that, that every person even on the front line of engaging with um, uh, the public uh, share the same values and communicate it the same way. Well, it's like any organisation. I've got 340 staff, 5,300 volunteers. Mm-hmm. Majority have got that. They see the results. I think there's a period of a few years after I was there, they thought, oh, here's an economic rationalist. He's always on about money and always on about want to do things differently. What's the, but I think when we built Waco and they saw the shift towards absolute customer service mm-hmm. and giving a good experience to people and they saw the number of lives, how we increased them going out the door alive, that actually they realised it works. Mm-hmm. And I believe that those staff um, who have stuck with us and even the new, one, the new culture, you might say, coming on, have the same view. Mm-hmm. There's always a few in any organisation, but the majority of our staff understand if they do that, the results are there. Because I'll give you a prime example where how bequests and customer service um, goes back about five or six years now. Actually, it might be a little seven years that we're at the old shelter. We got a $200,000 bequest. Now, we looked on our, our software, and where, the, where we got that bequest from, an ambulance driver three years earlier, had done a rescue of a possum from that property, mm-hmm. and then the customer had rung, the client had rung back and said, they were so friendly and helpful, and we had that record on our database. Mm-hmm. And there was, we had a $200,000 bequest three or four years later. Right. So it shows you the results of just giving good customer service. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what business you're in. Mm-hmm. And so how do you uh, incorporate that as part of your recruitment process to make sure that you're identifying the right kind of people to join? Our focus is actually on attitude these days more than skills. Mm-hmm. You can teach skills in most cases. Mm-hmm. It's attitude you have trouble. So our our um, PR, our um, HR team are very focused on... We do group interviews as well, but to make sure we actually get um, people with the right attitude. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather grow their skills than get a bad attitude with someone who's technically perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so... Um 18 years into the role, having achieved a lot of you know great outcomes and so on, what are the kind of things that keep you uh, interested and motivated in the job now? I've got to raise $51 million, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> it's no easy task. Right. So every day I'm right. trying to find out how we're going to raise a bit more money to okay. do a bit more. Right. And, and, and because we do things differently now. In the old days, I'll give you a prime example. So we must really do 300 amputations, did 300 amputations a year, mm-hmm. right? And they would, for a dog, you know, had a broken leg or something, yeah. would be better amputated. Mm-hmm. That would mostly cost us 200 bucks. Right. Now, we do orthopedic work, save that leg, mm-hmm. cost me $3,000. Right. Okay, so we do things differently, mm. better. Mind you, those tripod dogs are dog quick. Everyone feels sorry for them. Right. They call them tripod. Yeah. But that, we do things differently, and everything costs money. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we, that's why I have to think of new ways, and my staff now help think of new ways. Think of they outside the box. I really encourage people to try things differently, and if they do it wrong, doesn't matter as long mm-hmm. as we learn from that experience. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the new innovations in the way that you're raising that money uh, that are substantively different to what they were before? Well, everyone's into regular giving these days. Mm-hmm. So, trying to get so you get your cat rather than have your big appeals. We have a couple of appeals at tax time and Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We've got our Christmas one out now. Anyone listening right. want to help support the Guardian Angel appeal? We'll be looking, we need to raise about $700,000. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we have uh, ongoing regular giving, convert building relationships, and they just give us a little bit each month. That's right. what our that's what our aim is. We've got thirteen and a half thousand regular givers. Mm-hmm. Really, in two years, I'd love to have 20,000. Okay, because you do have people drop off. Yeah, sure. 
And so that's the main way that you're looking at that's, it now. That's where we're pushing acquisition right. towards that. The other, we've just um, released, um, RSPCA owns a third of the company called Taptins. Mm-hmm. So it's the first in the world. There's other devices that have similar but don't have a screen on them and are fully connected. Mm-hmm. So you can now go along and rather than put coins, which you mostly don't have in your pocket anyway, you can actually just flash your card, pay pass, and there's a little picture of a dog or it might be a wildlife animal or whatever on the front. Pick the denomination, 3, 6 or 19, for example, mm-hmm. and it goes in our account straight away. Mm-hmm. So there's no more cash tins on counters where money gets taken. There's no more cash wow. tins where people don't... Um, we've ju- and I've just, it's just launched in America as well, mm. and there'll be the, the first um, batch going over there by the end of this month. Okay. So just to make sure I've got this right in my head, so I'm in a shop. There's something on the, the counter yep. uh, asking for me to make a donation. Yep, it's got a picture of it. It's got a, like a little <clears throat> phone screen, a five-inch screen on it, okay. and it might have a dog in its tail wagging to attract your attention. Right. Um, and you can press one of the domina- denominations, right. and then you press that denomination, flash your card, and it's gone. Your money, th- $3 <laughs> is taken, or $6, whatever you donate. Right. Um, you can then, it'll ask you, do you want a receipt? You can just put your f- mobile phone number in, or text your receipt for that donation. Okay, and that, again, is something that was innovated within your business? Yes, wow. yes. So, so how, does that, how does that happen? Well, um, I must thank Telstra, really, because I very rarely go to conferences like that. I'm not into that normally. Right. But I went to looking because we had problems, because maintaining 400 cash tins around the city and sure. region's hard. You don't have to think you know if you get all the money. Um, the auditors always ask questions because I don't know. Who knows if it's a news agent in yeah. Clontarf? Who knows? Whatever yeah. it might be. So we try to make sure that... Um, the, this way, it's fully as within seconds. You can check. I've got an app on the phone. I can see exactly which tin by Google Map, where it's located, right. how much is there, and it's coming in. Plus, I'm getting a phone number which I couldn't get before, okay. so I can send you a message and remind you to donate. Um, <laughs> so you go to a Telstra conference. Yeah. So we go to Telstra conference, um, and you, I, I was introduced to some other Telstra, Telstra customers from Queensland. It was in Melbourne. I said, I'm down here looking. We're just looking for this. Some, I'm looking for some hardware, software. I wasn't sure, but it's what I wanted to do. One of the other people uh, was um, one of these young entrepreneurs. He's, he said, oh, uh, the next morning he sent me an email and said, what about this? And it was halfway there. And I'd sound, seen part of the product. And we just sort of then met up in Brisbane next couple of weeks, brainstormed, and we formed a company. Right. RSPCA owned um, half. Mm-hmm. And then he had another entrepreneur friend want to come on board. Mm-hmm. So I figured, well... I'm, these two young guys are very energetic. I'll go back to a third, and I'd much rather a small amount of RSPCA of a lot yes. than a little bit. And that's what we've done. And RSPCA right. owns a third of this company, and um, you'll see tap tins all over Brisbane in the next couple of months. Okay, so it hasn't started to roll. We've out just yet. started to roll them out the last okay. few weeks. Right, yeah. and and is that something that you can put some kind of a patent around so that you have a global, you know, platform? Um, we've partnered with PayPal. Right. So that's held the um, rollout up a little bit because the PayPal. Um, firmware needed to be changed mm. to make it worldwide so mm. it's available now mm. and um, it's it's protected but not you can't protect some of the idea people mm. can have something close to it our aim is but to get it out there and get it large before anyone else really does because we're mm. ahead of the game and is that something that uh, the same device could work for a number of different charities any charity there's already 12 charities registered but okay. but on the same device or yep so, right, so I rock in and I can go, I want to give it to RSPCA or I want to give it to the Smith family. Now, at the moment, so what happens right. is it's set up, say, for RSPCA or it might be Smith family, mm-hmm. and then remotely we can change it by industry, by chemists or liquor stores or whatever. We can mm-hmm. change it by individual numbers of that unit or we can change it by location. Wow. So the real key is if there's a natural disaster yeah. and, say, Red Cross are given the, mm-hmm. the authority from the government to be the... Um, the I suppose the contractor for the look after that disaster as far mm-hmm. as the, the relief goes... Instantly, as soon as we get an image, we can change the Red Cross and donate to the Newcastle earthquake and right. put change of values within seconds. That's fantastic. And I mean, uh, the the sort of the rich data that would be collected would be incredible. Yeah. So and we incredibly don't incredibly valuable. So we don't collect your name, no. uh, but we collect your donation yeah. and your text and your mobile number. Yeah. So we can contact you after. That's right. Right. Why? Why wouldn't you collect the because name? Because the, the way it works with the pay pass, it doesn't have. We don't have that access. Okay. For the credit card. Yeah, sure. Um, but we, it's it's and people are happy with that because we can't annoy them too much. Mm, mm. It's amazing. I mean, when you look at that, just that one piece of technology and the potential. I mean, that could be uh, hugely successful and completely transform the way that you fund your business. Exactly. Not only in terms of the donations, but in terms of the actual technology. Yeah. So have a think about this. 
You think if we have 1,200 machines out there, which will mm. be out there in the next within the next six weeks, most mm. probably, and what would you think if it was an IGA counter? Would you do you think nine dollars or twelve dollars is a reasonable amount per day? That's three three dollar donations mm-hmm. or four three dollar donations. Mm-hmm. I think out of a, a fairly busy store, that would be right quite reasonable. Mm. Well, that that could easily produce four hundred thousand dollars for the charity in twelve months. Mm. Oh, for sure. It, it's um, you know I'm quite interested in this. You, you see this uh, thing called Patreon, have you? Um, which is mm. where uh, there's a journalist in Brisbane that I I really like, and he produces um, his articles, and so you can pay either a few bucks a month or you can pay X dollars per article that he writes mm-hmm. and that's the way that he finds himself as an independent right. journalist yep. or a podcaster or whatever. And then I went into a shop the other day and I bought some um, uh, takeaway for my kids and at the end it said, do you want to round up to the, you know, and yep. give this sort of amount? I mean, so much innovation in this space now. It's yes. incredible. Yeah. And yet Nigel uh, Harris from the Marta Foundation who... Um, I think he's the straight head of the philanthropy association or whatever yep. it is. He was saying by far the most successful way are the people standing on the corners saying, uh, you know, the ones that annoy me 20 times a day. Yep. Um, do you guys get involved in that too? So other RSPCAs do. Right. I've genuinely resisted it. Yep. Now, I'm not saying we won't, but there's a big chunk that doesn't come to us from those donations. Right. And I've generally tried to put effort into every other way to act, acquire new donors yep. rather than use face-to-face right. because I don't like them myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure a lot of my um, supporters might not like them either. Mm-hmm. So we try every other way to take a buck off you mm-hmm. without having face-to-face where only a small percentage comes back anyway. Mm-hmm. And what happens is with the acquisition of those names from that there, people drop off pretty quickly. Right. So they convert to a regular giver because you just want to get them out of your face. Sure. They agree for a month or two, next minute it drops off. Right, okay. They never renew their credit card when the date runs out yeah. anyway. So, yes, they are successful, but I don't believe... I think oh, we can do it differently at RSPCA Queensland than yeah. I've been able to do without them at this point. Right. Well, I think that that's, uh, that's great to hear and certainly sounds like you're doing a tremendous job there. So when you look to the future, uh, you know, five to ten years down... Um, uh, the path. I mean, apart from what you're doing in in relation to all this innovation, are there particular things that you're really excited for in relation to RSPCA and animal welfare, and perhaps even you know the profit for purpose sector? Well, I think when it comes, if we go back to RSPCA a little bit, things are changing. People mm-hmm. are actually smarter. People actually don't get don't give puppies and kittens away at Christmas time to relatives. Mm-hmm. We we encourage rather than say no, mm-hmm. just say come and get a voucher and then bring the person in with the voucher and right. get the animal that suits them. Sure. So rather than say, don't get animals for presents, people mm-hmm. will go and do it otherwise behind your back, basically. They'll go somewhere else. Yep. So be- better off have them into your business, mm-hmm. but give them a voucher and get it and make sure that person comes in and gets the animal that suits them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the old traditional things that were a problem are getting better, mm-hmm. and they actually will have less animals to adopt. There's no doubt that we can see that now. There's little rescue groups doing some. Mm-hmm. There's specialist breeds. The biggest problem we're going to have, and it's continuing, I don't know how to stop at this point, is the increase in wildlife. Okay. It's habit. Even if you're a pro-development, mm-hmm. the facts tell you, in, in before we moved to Waco in 2012, we used to do a couple of thousand animals a year in that cupboard at Fairfield. Mm-hmm. We built a hospital to deal with 10,000 animals. Mm-hmm. We're now doing nearly 24,000 animals. Mm-hmm. Put that in context, Australia Zoo does six and a half, approximately. Mm-hmm. Cumberumban does nine. Mm. It's purely because of dogs and cars and habitat destruction. Mm-hmm. So, I, and at the moment, it's continued. The graph is going up. Mm-hmm. It'll get to a point where there won't be wildlife left, so it will come down. But that's the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. And so how do you um, deal with that then? Well, we are working with state government. We are working with local governments to talk about the planning laws mm-hmm. because it's habitat destruction, as I say. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a greenie or anything, support that side of politics. If the facts are there, they're coming through our door because of habitat destruction. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to convince other levels of government, local, that maybe we've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So even when I was in local government, everyone was into um, having uh, corridors. Mm-hmm. But all we're doing is funneling those animals into. At the end of the corridor, they get, come against a car or a um, dog. Right. So I think maybe it needs moonscaping a bit more land, mm-hmm. having more development, and having that, that, the money from that development, uh, buying larger tracts of protected land mm-hmm. rather than these skinny corridors mm-hmm. that are turning into um, horror zones for animals. Mm. And are you getting 
good uh, receptivity to those ideas? I think so, because when you present the facts to them, they realise it's not quite working. Right. And I don't. that might not be the answer, because there's a whole lot of issues with translocation of wildlife mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of research that doesn't work. Um, I'm just saying, well, if we used to have 2,000, then we had 10,000, 8,000 actually within the first year or two at Waco. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting 24,000. Mm-hmm. Something's got to change, mm-hmm. and I think the key to it will be the planning laws at state and local government level. Mm. I'm also guessing that perhaps in the past, you know, people would see a wounded animal and just wouldn't know what to do with it, whereas now they're more educated about bringing it to you. Yeah, and we've centralised that one 300 animal. If you remember, Senator Alstrom was the communication minister back mm-hmm. in the Howard government. We had to lobby him to make federal government uh, legislative changes to get that number. Right. And then, so that was the first hurdle, took okay. three years. Two Where was it previously? Years. Um, well, the, there was, there was no central number. You rang all different numbers. Right. And you'd sure. ring and the, and the husband would say, no, that wildlife care, a wife of mine, she's gone. Right. You know, she doesn't live here any longer. Right. And then you, so you'd have this person mm. stressing on the side of the M1 that hit a kangaroo or mm. a echidna or a koala and ring all these numbers and getting no help. Okay. So my aim was to have one phone number, mm-hmm. ring for that, and then we'll, we'll work out who to call and get your help quick. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we've done. Mm. Okay. Coming back to your own career, I mean, you mentioned... Prior to joining our, uh, RSPCA, you considered doing an MBA. It sounds like you've, you know, you've uh, had more than enough learning feet on the ground from a practical point of view. How do you keep yourself, um, you know, uh, uh, excited and and um, continuing to think and develop professionally? Are there courses that you do, or are there um, is there things that you read, or um, uh, what do you do? Um. I read some short articles. Mm-hmm. I don't. I must say, I don't spend the whole time with my nose in a book mm-hmm. or, or on on the computer these days. I suppose um, I've got a young family. Kids are pretty active. Yeah. Two and a half and a five year old. Right. So, you know, <laughs> and a thirty two year old. Right. <laughs> um, daughter. But um, but I I really I just enjoy working with people mm. and peers and learning from them as well. Mm. And that's where I was very lucky in local government. I was only 28 when I entered local government. Right. And I had some great peers, like the executive team of Logan City Council, mm-hmm. were all very well qualified. And I was able to, for eight years, be alongside them, working alongside them and learning. Mm-hmm. You know? And that taught me a lot. Taught me a lot about strategic direction, strategic planning, long-term planning, which in a small business you don't actually look at. You mm-hmm. look at a little bit, but that gave me great opportunity. Mm-hmm. So um, I... That's where most of my learning come from, other people's mistakes right. and other people's experiences and then trying to find uh, solutions to old age problems mm-hmm. and thinking outside the square. That's, mm. that's where I spend my time. Well, so, I mean, it sounds as though that's uh, an area that you're particularly good at. Uh, 18 years in the job and in terms of thinking about you know, the rest of your career, do you see RSPCA being home for life or have you got other aspirations? I think you've got to ask the board. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones who make that decision. Right. Um, I'm pretty well branded RSPCA, there's no doubt about okay. that now. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, I've got a, uh, just because I work for a not-for-profit, mm. I do see myself as a commercial person mm-hmm. because I run five enterprises at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes it's running with a hand behind your back when you're running as a not-for-profit because you are a little bit more restricted. Yeah. You know, things take a bit longer with decisions. You've got to have a bit more of a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think you have to invite me back in a couple of years and see if you've got a Harris PCA cap up or somewhere else. Right, and I, uh, I, you know, obviously board responsibilities is something that you enjoy as well, yeah. and you've, you've got a, a few of those. What are some of the more interesting boards you're involved in? Well, I suppose it's um, the... Um, be, be animal welfare board is always different. It's connected to the RSPCA, obviously, but it is interesting because it's dealing with all animal welfare problems across Queensland. Mm-hmm. Biosecurity, which is really important, although it's just being reformed, so I'm, I'm though, I think looking for different gender makeup. Right. So I saw in the new one. Uh-huh. Um, you, you're feeling a bit. What are they? Male, stale, and pale. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. And I should advertise to you one of our new innovations <coughs> launching on the second of December. You said is pale tail beer. Pale Tail Beer. So we've got a new brand of beer being launched and funds going to RSPCA called Pale Tail Beer. Keep a lookout for it. And why did it get called that? Well, we just had to find a a quirky name and that's what the marketing people came up with, Pale Tail. (laughs) So it's a pale ale, but it's a pale tail. All right, so going back to you, you when we look at things that support our mission, how does beer support the mission of RSPCA? Oh, I think that's where I'm thinking the the juices come from for the new ideas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's maybe maybe a little bit less... uh, 
less mission driven. Right. But I thought it was a good idea. It's fairly early in the market to have, there's a couple of others out there, and I think our brand can work for us for right. that. Oh, um, and again, I've got to raise that $51 million. Sure. I, won't, I won't sell anything that's going to be detrimental to our brand. So right. it's actually a 3.5. It's not okay. a high, high alcohol, it's a, lo- a responsible level of alcohol. Yeah. And that was a decision made deliberately right. to be responsible for the brand. Well, if ACDC can have their own wine label, you yeah, guys well, can have you your own beer label. Exactly, that's right. what I see. So, sorry, go, yeah. go. so back to boards. Um, I've had a lot of involvement with the Green Bank RSL, which mm-hmm. is obviously one of the largest um, gaming facilities in uh, Queensland. Yeah. When I started there, I remember like 140, you know, 100,000 members plus. Yeah. Um, it was built, it was, used to be a little container shed on a block of land, and if anyone's been there now, it's a $40 million complex. Yeah. Um, so again, and that, that board over the years, um, has pretty well been very solid and changed and they've always had the members at heart and the mm-hmm. growth of the business. Okay. And I've, I've, I suppose my involvement with most boards has always been a very trying to keep balance and get um, cohesive decisions and everyone stick to those decisions outside the room. Mm-hmm. Come to a compromise that everyone's happy yeah. and you'll grow and get on with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, having agile decisions saves a lot of time, a lot of money, and you're ahead of the market. Mm-hmm. And what about this one uh, with a sort of a French-sounding name, Saint Paul? Paul de Sartre. So right. again, when I, I've been there 20 years, and it was and everyone knows how nice it is. You might soon find out, Rich, how age an aged care facilities they're oh, like it's hotels. An aged care, is it? Yep, right. and um, that's a, a Catholic charter. And I was involved from helping seek the block of land to right. actually building it. And I'm very proud because in the 90s, when that was first built. It's like they are today. Like mm. head of the game, it's a five-star type facility okay. that actually wasn't like they they weren't like that. Aged cares in the early no. 90s, yep. and it's like that. And it's grown over the years. Got independent living units, so you can move from you know not so aged and dis- with not so many mm. disabilities into high you know care. high care. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's run by a Catholic order of nuns who have got a very caring, and you won't see them in the Royal Commission. Okay. <laughs> well, look, uh, it sounds as though you've got a very full plate. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come and have a chat to us today. Before we wrap it up, is there anything uh, that we haven't covered off or any, you'd like to bring any attention to, any uh, particular events around RSPCA or new initiatives? No, just keep out for those tap tins right. and look for the higher denomination when you make a donation. That would be right. very helpful. Sure. And our, and our obviously, Christmas appeal. And, um, yeah, and if you haven't been to our Wake Off facility, you're in the southeast corner, come and visit. We've got a coffee shop. It's actually licensed, but you've got a coffee shop and cafe out there. Okay. Um, and you, I'm sure you'll enjoy the experience. Bring your family. Come and have a, uh, a, a pale tail ale. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> while you're uh, viewing the animals. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks again and have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Richard. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. We frequently feature guests from organisations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organisation's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email richardt at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.